0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 1030 a.m. and 230 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. The words of our Savior in Matthew chapter 5 in verse number 6 reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think that Jesus uses uh, the, the physical hunger within man perfectly here to make a parallel between what we physically hunger and thirst for and what we should spiritually hunger and thirst for. I think that one reason why Jesus was able to use this example so effectively was because of what he had just went through prior to his Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't very long before this when Jesus was in the wilderness and had spent 40 days fasting and praying. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2 we read, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. I hate to say that the Bible is inadequate in its descriptions at times, but I think it's very subtle here in this moment in which it explains how Jesus went 40 entire days without eating anything. And it says, well, afterward he was hungry. Well, yeah, obviously. You know, sometimes we go for moments and periods of times without eating or drinking anything. Sometimes it's for medical reasons. Sometimes we fast from time to time for a day or so. But I can't imagine going three days without eating anything. I can't imagine going a week without eating anything, much less 40 entire days. If you were to start fasting right now for 40 days, you'd be near the end of January before you got to eat anything again. And Just just imagine what that would be like. It would be nearly torturous for us because fasting is just not as prevalent in our society today as it was for the Jewish people back then. They spent a lot more time fasting and, and praying and doing those kinds of things. And so going a week probably wasn't a stretch for those people, but 40 days was probably another story. However, even though Jesus had gone all this time without eating food, when Satan comes and tempts Jesus, in verse 3 it mentions that Jesus came and tempted him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. And so how is Jesus able to combat that? How is he able to say no to that temptation? Because if I had that kind of power and authority, I'd turn a rock into a, medium-rare steak right there, and have a side of mashed potatoes and fried okra, and I'd have all the fixings, and I wouldn't hold anything back. But yeah, Jesus is able to say no anyways. And Jesus, spending that time, obviously, had spent that time being filled with righteousness. He didn't just wander around in the wilderness simply not eating, but preparing for his ministry. And so I'm, I'm sure he spent most of that 40 days in prayer to God, asking for help and preparation for what he was about to go through shortly and also what what he was about to go through for the rest of his life. So Jesus is able to perfectly use the physical hunger of man and relate that to what we should spiritually hunger and thirst for. And Jesus uses that in his list of beatitudes, as we call them, perfect descriptions of Jesus. And he also uses all those things to point forward to future points in his Sermon on the Mount, and we'll make some of those connections later on and as you think about what we physically crave and desire when it comes to food and drink you know think about a healthy diet a healthy physical diet eating salads drinking a lot of water not drinking cokes and sweet tea something i greatly struggle with not eating a lot of fast food again something i greatly struggle with i'm not a good person to ask for any physical healthy advice because my physical diet uh, is no good as far as that goes those unhealthy desires will catch up to me later on in life. I'll have trouble. I, I won't get to eat whatever I want to eat later on, more than likely. And so unhealthy cravings and desires for food and drink lead to difficulty, and also unhealthy cravings and desires for sin lead to great difficulty in our spiritual life, and even sometimes our physical life as well. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 6, we read, The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. And the New King James Version says transgressors shall be caught in their own lusts. And anytime you read the word lust in the Bible, it's incredibly negative. It's incredibly sinful. And so transgressors, or the unfaithful, will be caught in their own cravings and their sinful desires. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28 Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So we see the lust, the evil cravings and desires that are sinful, and maybe we act on them, they start from within. They start in our hearts. The problem is with that craving and that desire, because nine times out of ten, that craving and desire feels us to make those decisions, feels, the, feels us to take those actions. And so that's a challenge that we have to be prepared for. We have to know what we crave and desire for in this life, especially spiritually. Do we crave and desire sin in our lives? Do we crave and desire to commit those sinful actions? And on the flip side to all this, a good, healthy physical diet will lead to a slightly easier life, Lord willing, when we grow old. And so a good, healthy, spiritual craving and desires will help us greatly in our walk with Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul wrote, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh for these Christians, as they were a mix of Jews and Gentiles, was to bring the Jewish traditions along and basically make them as law for the Gentiles to partake in in order to be Christians. And obviously there's a lot of problems with that, and and, and Paul told those Jewish Christians not to fulfill that lust of the flesh, but instead walk in the Spirit. Have a craving and desire for God. Have a craving and desire for His Word. And you'll be much less likely to commit those sinful actions. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 1, Peter writes, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So as Peter wrote to these Christians, they were facing a lot of persecution and hardship and difficulty. They were called to focus on the mind of Jesus. What was the mind of Jesus like when he was persecuted? Jesus had the end goal in mind. Jesus was living for the will of God. Even on the road, carrying his cross, knowing what he was going to continue to go through, he, he had a great desire to fulfill the will of God. And so there's no greater spiritual craving and desire than to crave and desire the same mind of Jesus. And in doing so, you won't live the rest of your time for the lusts of men, but rather for the will of God. And so what I wanted to do with these couple slides was just set up the clear difference between craving and desiring evil and sin and craving and desiring good. Because in all reality, I think what we struggle with a lot, while we do struggle with craving sin, we, we tend to crave things that aren't evil, but we certainly set them up in our priorities as greatly important to us. And sometimes we can put those things on a pedestal and elevate them higher than, uh, than having God as our top priority many times. People seek to be filled with many different things in this world. People seek to be filled with sin and live a life that's pleasurable to their flesh. And some people seek what they think are good things to fill their life. But in all reality, they may miss the mark with those things. Well, what are some of these things that we can tend to get caught up in craving and desiring? I think that Ecclesiastes is a perfect book to look at when considering what the purpose of life is. Because that's what Solomon did in his time on earth. You know, people may ask, well, what's the purpose for us being here? What are we supposed to do here? What are we supposed to do in this life that bring us joy or bring us pleasure? So we'll go through a few things I think that people seek to be filled with in this life and that have been seeking to be filled with these things for thousands of years. I think one such thing is the wisdom of man. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 13 We read, And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all this vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon gave his heart to seek and search out this wisdom of things done under heaven. Solomon sought this earthly wisdom. And what was his conclusion for finding that great wisdom. It was vanity. It was emptiness. Some people in this life may seek to be the smartest person in the room at all times. There's a lot of awards and achievements that can be accomplished in having great wisdom. And some very good things can come from great wisdom, such as electricity and air conditioning. It takes a level of wisdom to know how those things work. And in some ways, we need a level of wisdom of how this world works in order to be able to thrive in our society, to be able to make a living, to be able to support the church, we need to have some of that earthly wisdom. But sometimes a lot of people take it to the next level and set that as their top priority in life, and they seek to have however much wisdom they can possibly gain. Solomon says in the end it's vexation, it's vanity, because in the end you can't take that wisdom with you to the grave. I think something else that people seek to be filled with is indulgence. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10, Solomon writes, Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. In the verses before verse 10, Solomon writes a great description of all the many different possessions that he has, that his work led him to, his riches and his wealth. He, He couldn't say no to anything. Solomon wrote, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Whatever he wanted, he took, and he enjoyed those things. And obviously some of those things were sinful, but many times for us, we can indulge in things that aren't necessarily sinful, but we spend a lot of time thinking about them, and we spend a lot of time wanting to take part in those things. And instead of God being our top desire and priority, we may make entertainment our top Desire and priority. We may make sports our top desire and priority. So instead of indulging in God and in spiritual things, we indulge on anything of this world. People seek to be filled with those things as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 18, Solomon goes on to describe how his work was vain. He writes, yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Verse 23, he writes, for all his days are sorrows and his tra- travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. Now, Solomon thought about his work. He said he hated it. He hated all the labor under the sun. Why? Because it couldn't go with him. He would have to leave it to the one after him, and that person would probably just mess it up or not do as good of a job as Solomon. He says all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. We see a lot of people around us whose great desire in life is to climb whatever corporate ladder they're a part of. To be to the top of where they can be. To be the head of their company. And a lot of things come with that as, as such as the riches. It says that those things are greatly Stressful. His heart taketh not rest in the night. And trying to be fulfilled in your life solely by your work and your profession is vain and it's empty. And we are supposed to work. We are supposed to work diligently as unto the Lord. But there's a a line between working diligently, being a good hard worker, and seeking to be fulfilled and find your identity and your being in your profession. But yet we see people all around us who tend to to lean towards that. The last thing I want to notice from Ecclesiastes is that people seek to be filled with is money. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, we read, "...he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes?" He that loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. No matter how much money you make, it's never enough. And I think about myself. I have a very, uh, I, I just have a very average income. And it's plenty though. I've got plenty. And I think it'd be nice to make some more money. And I think about the professional athletes. Back in the 50s and 60s, professional basketball players were working side jobs just to make enough to live. And it's amazing where we've come in 60 years. Because now $5 million a year isn't quite enough. It could always be a little bit more. He that loves silver is never satisfied with silver. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. What good is there to those possessions, to that money, other than seeing it with your eyes? Other than just having it for yourself? Because in the end, you can't take it with you. Solomon was the richest person On the planet at that time. Converting his money to today's money. Solomon ranks I think in the top three in human history of wealthiest people. And he wasn't satisfied with it. He didn't find true joy or happiness. It didn't fill him. He wasn't fulfilled in having that. He wasn't fulfilled in the great earthly wisdom he had. He wasn't fulfilled in the indulgence of the flesh. He wasn't fulfilled with the work that he had on this earth. So what is there? What is there left? What are we here for? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, we read, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Without the last chapter or two of Ecclesiastes, it's just a big, deep, depressing book. Because there is no purpose to life. But in the end, fear God and keep his commands. That's man's all. That's our being. That's why we're here. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 25 the righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. How ironic is it that the same person wrote these two verses on opposite ends of the spectrum. You have the Proverbs in which Solomon had this great wisdom leading his people in a godly manner. and In Ecclesiastes, he's towards the end of his life and he looks back and he has a lot of regrets because he put a lot of things before God. And you see throughout that time period, you can, you can hear it in his voice. How empty those years were. How he would have changed those times. The belly of the wicked shall want. The belly of the wicked will be empty. But the righteous eat to the satisfying of their soul. Instead, we have to seek to be filled with the Spirit. We have to crave and desire God. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Here later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we see hungering and thirsting for righteousness come back around again. Set your treasure on heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He talks about the light of the body being the eye and if your eye if your life and your priorities is not set upon the light then it will be full of darkness so sometimes it's it's very difficult for me to live my life with my priorities straight all of these things are very obvious to me and i know where my priorities should be but a lot of times my life doesn't reflect where those things actually are and that's because if if we go years and years Continually not seeking and craving and desiring God, we have we can have darkness within us, and that darkness is very gripping, and that darkness will not just let go and set you free. We have to set within our lives spiritual patterns on a daily basis, we have to continue to seek and desire and crave God in those spiritual matters. I think about the the parable of the sower and the thorny ground, and how it slowly chokes out the seed. It's not like the, the rocky ground, in which the seed is quickly taken away with persecutions and trials, but the thorn, there, there's great troubles and cares of this life, and it slowly chokes out the seed in the Word. There's a couple examples I want to look at from the Bible, on, and, and these are very simple things, they're not very complicated. They're not groundbreaking, but there's a, there, there's just a couple things I think that can help us better crave and desire uh, our Savior, and better crave and desire a life-pleasing to Him if we can make these steady habits in our life and continue to build on them. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, there's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave... Much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Cornelius uh, is a very impressive individual to me. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house. How did he fear God with all his house? Well, for one, they gave alms to the people. They were very generous people. They helped the poor. They helped those who struggled. But also, Cornelius and his house always prayed to God. They had a prayerful mindset. They prayed without ceasing. And this wasn't something, I think, that Cornelius just started one day and then was perfect in it from then on. I'm sure it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of practice for Cornelius to do those things. Sometimes when we try to change our diet, it takes a long time to finally actually change our diet. It took me probably 16 years to like green beans. But we ate them every week, and we kept eating them, we kept eating them, And now I kind of like green beans. They're not bad, especially coated with sugar and salt. But anyways, they're not bad. I like green beans. And it took a very long time for me to come around to liking that. And so building up these good spiritual appetites and these spiritual practices takes some time. It takes exercise and it takes effort. And sometimes we can get discouraged because we don't immediately have a really great prayer life when we need to. But it takes time to build up. I think another example uh, that, that we can look to are the example of the Bereans in God's Word. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, we read about them. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable men, women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So these Bereans, which Paul and Silas came to, and began preaching the Word, They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. It's clear they had a love for God's word. It's clear they knew where to go to find these answers. And you know what happened? They believed. They hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And as Jesus promised, they were filled. They had their sins forgiven of them. And Cornelius spent his days praying and praying to God, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You know what happened? He was filled Peter came to his house not long after and preached the gospel of Jesus to him. And him and all his household were baptized and had their sins forgiven of them. And in that, they found fulfillment. They didn't have to go look in the world for that because God provides it. And that's the constant reminder I need in my life. Maybe you do too. That we have to go to him who fulfills truly our needs. We can't go to the world thinking that we'll find fulfillment in that because We'll continue to be left wanting. We'll continue to be empty. And our lives will be spent in vain. So as we close, remember that God offers that feeling that won't go dry. God offers that feeling that lasts for eternity. In Isaiah chapter 55, in verse 1, we read, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money, and without price. It's a calling. It's an invitation. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Here, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. The words of Jesus in Matthew 5 are very similar to these words. The everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of of David. This chapter, this prophecy was a prophecy of the gospel of Christ to come. A prophecy that all nations would come and, and, live, and, and live their lives for God. And be filled with God. Everyone that's thirsty, come to the waters that fill. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's free. It's free. I think in verse 2 he asks a couple of very... Telling questions, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you spend your life looking to fulfill yourself, seeking to be fulfilled by the sin that's in this world? Seeking to be fulfilled by the distractions that are around us. When those things don't last, when those things don't fulfill and they cost us greatly, they cost us dearly. But the waters of Jesus, the waters of baptism are free And there's no consequence, but rather reward. So we have to remember to go back to God. To go back to the one who satisfies and the one who fills our lives. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 7, There is that maketh himself rich, yet has nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet has great riches. And in Proverbs 8 and 34, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts, of my doors what do you crave and desire in your life what do you seek fulfillment in what makes you feel fulfilled do you crave and desire sin do you crave what's physical in this life it's easy for us as Christians to get sidetracked by those things to get sidetracked by the world to focus on ourselves. but we have to put all the focus on God We have to seek and crave and desire God in our lives. We have to seek and crave and desire to make Him a regular part of our lives so that we can live lives pleasing to Him. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram And send us a message there.